still uh, tonight, um, we are still in the midst of the introduction of the lesson. And um, so we are, we are going back and still looking at the background now. And uh, we're going to, again, we're going to monitor our time this evening. We'll get as far as we need to tonight. And if we're still in the introduction next week and finishing off, remember, Paul's in, he's in, uh, he's in Ephesus for three and a half years. So, I mean, uh, you know, we can't probably cover three and a half years in uh, 60 minutes, of, you know, 30 minutes uh, each, each Wednesday night. So we want to be mindful of that and not rush through it. The more we know about the background of the, um, of the, uh, uh, of the letter, uh, the better we'll be able to understand the letters we continue to dig through, okay? And uh, so nonetheless, guys, so let's just make sure, let's get into Acts chapter 19 now. We're going to read verses 8 through 12 tonight, and that's what we're going to begin to look at this evening, begin to break that down. As Paul, we saw last week, uh, kind of an introductory to a bit of a spiritual warfare. Uh, we saw with the, in verses 1 through 7, um, as uh, he meets the the uh, the. Uh, uh, the, the disciples of John. He wins them to Christ, baptizes them. Uh, of course, they receive the Holy Spirit and uh, as a testimony. And this is really and truly, guys, Acts 19 is kind of a pinnacle point because this is, this is it's where the transitional phase, even though there's still uh, bits and bobs of transition mixed into the book of Acts as the, this infant church has continued to grow, Acts 19 is one of the areas where you see things begin to subside, things of speaking in tongues, things of signs and this and that. As Paul moves further out into the Gentile world, uh, we see those things begin to uh, come to a screeching halt. Amen? Acts 19 and verse 8, the Bible says here, And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. Uh, and this continued by the space of two years, so that all they of which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, a verse, guys, as we read verses 8 through 12, we're going to see three things mixed up into these verses here, three events that occurred um, in our current verses, if you will. We're going to see the meeting in the synagogue. We're going to see the mentor in the school, then the miracle in society. But before we get into those, uh, those categories this evening, I want us to make sure we don't abruptly look over a verse, uh, guys, uh, that happens during the two years that Paul is preaching uh, and speaking within this school. If you look at verse 10, and this continue by the space of two years. Now, he's already there for three months. Uh, we know that according to... Um, Verse 8, and, uh, and then as we move forward in there, we find that he separates, and then uh, he's, he's here in the school of Tyrannus uh, for two years. Now watch this latter part of verse 10. So that, okay, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now again, guys, we are Bible believers, are we not? We believe the Word of God to be true. We believe it to be perfect. We believe it to be errant. And therefore, if the Bible says all, it means all of Asia heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So we need to think about that for just a particular second here tonight. Keep in mind, God has sent Paul 
to the, the Gentile world. He is the minister unto the Gentiles. That was where God separated him, and he sent his work to be reformed, and that work went all throughout Asia, all throughout Europe. We have the, I just saw my breath go out. We have the gospel tonight here uh, in Wales because of the preaching of the gospel of the Apostle Paul. We can actually date that back as the gospel made its way here from the mouth of Paul to the island that we live on. It says, but and so we never overlook these verses. When we see how important that uh, the events that occurred in Ephesus, with the establishment of the school, with the sending out as preachers, with the building and planting of new churches and new works throughout Asia Minor, all of these things are occurring because the Apostle Paul surrendered to the call that God had given him to go into this location. Amen. So let's look here, if you will, tonight. Uh, we're going to get first into the the meeting in the synagogue. The meeting. Uh, in the synagogue. So notice here, if you will, in Acts chapter 18, verses 19 to 20, uh, the Paul briefly stopped in there. If you remember this time, we talked about it last week. Uh, we're not going to go back to chapter 18 uh, to read it. We read it last week. But Paul briefly stopped in. Uh, this was on his way to the feast of the Passover. And he spoke to the Jews in the synagogue, then concerning the kingdom of God. And if you remember, they wanted him to stay then. All right. He came in, he gave a little bit of a taste. He says, listen, I'm going on to the Feast of the Passover. I'm going to be back. So now we fast forward to our text verses tonight. Acts, 8, uh, Acts 19, 8, and then the first part of verse 9. Now the tides have, have shifted. The tides have changed to Paul. Now, whereas before they wanted him to stay, now he's been there for three months. And uh, uh, you know what? They want him to leave. They want him out of Dodge, okay? So notice the pattern of Paul's preaching. Look with me. In verse 8, we see three things here. In verse 8, the Bible says, and, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So we number one, we find that there is a dispute. All right, The word dispute means an exchange, uh, an exchange of you with the intent uh, on arriving at the truth. That's what a dispute is. So a dispute is not always an argument or a, not always something that is a, a, you know, a, a conflict. But it is you arriving to the truth. That's what a dispute is. We think when you have a, a, a charge, a, an erroneous charge, say on your credit card or your debit card, and you ring them up, you're going to dispute that charge. Why? Because you didn't make that charge. It's an erroneous charge. So you're disputing. You're trying to get to the truth. That's what we find Paul doing in the synagogue concerning the kingdom of God. Number two, we find there's a dialogue that happens there. And defined by the word dialogue is a conversation or conference between two or more persons. That's what it simply is, all right? You know, Amos says this, come, or God says unto Amos, come now let us reason together, thus saith the Lord, all right? So often, many a times, we, we put our, our war hats on before we put on our conversational hat. Sometimes, you know, we put our defensive armor on a lot of times, and we have the whole armor of God on there, but we forget the offensive weapon, which is the only one we've been given, which is the Word of God, according to the Ephesians, amen, the sword of the Spirit, Sometimes, guys, our conversation and our communication is going to be more important than the conflict that is going to occur because we're trying to get to a truth. That's the dispute. But it needs to start with a dialogue, not a defense. Does that make sense? I think one of the grave errors, and I know I've been guilty many, many years ago in the times past, one of the grave errors that we make as Bible believers is that, that we start out defending something that may not be already offended. Does that make sense? You, 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 that makes sense what I'm saying here? We automatically assume the person across the table or across the coffee shop or the, the, our gym mates or our frame mates, you know, we already assume that they're going to be in conflict against what we have to say. And that's not always the truth, guys. 
It's not always the truth. Paul learns this as he came the first time. They wanted him to stay. Now he's worn his welcome out. He's trying to bring the truth, and, and he's doing so with a dialogue, okay? Finally, we do find that there is a denial. When that denial happens, that's when you turn on your heels and you go. The, the erroneous belief of some others uh, sometimes, sometimes will require disputing. Sometimes it's going to require a dialogue to get the point of Christianity into people's life. And, but you're going to find here that debating is not necessarily involved. Think about what a debate is. What would you say a debate would be? Where I went to undergrad, guys, we had one of the greatest forensics teams or debating teams in all of the country. Our school competed against, against schools such as Harvard and all these different schools, and they won them. As a matter of fact, in my, my, I took advanced public speaking, and I took this class, and, uh, and there was a girl in that class named Barbara Schneider, all right, which is crazy, guys, because I can remember everything about people, the clothes they wear, how they look, you know, their birth dates, and all this and that. Nine times out of ten, I can never remember people's name, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I remember hers. Barbara Schneider was her name. She was the leader, the captain or president of what it was of the forensic team, the debate team there. She was awesome. And the way our names fell, I always had to go after her, Schneider and then Stagner. All right. Here I am, the jock. Yeah. Okay. And I had to go behind the girl who had the notes perfectly, the hand position, the posture, everything. I mean, she was a perfect public speaker. And I, and I remember telling our professor, I'm like, what are we doing here? And he says, don't worry about it, BG. We're going to grade on a curve, and you're going to set it today. I was like, well, thank you very much for that encouragement. But Barbara Snyder was awesome. But she could win a debate, okay? She could win a debate arguing a point that she did not even believe in it because she prepared herself. But what is a debate? If you were to put Barbara here today uh, debating a particular position here that she may be passionate about, and then another person over here, uh, you know, d debating something that they were passionate about. My money is going to be on Barbara. That's how good of a debate her she was. But a debate and a dialogue are not always the same thing. There's going to be denial in the midst of the movement of Christianity across the world. There was denial in Ephesus from the Jews in the synagogue, and eventually you're going to find even denial amongst the Gentiles, but it started here in the synagogue this day. But it all began with a dialogue with Paul, not a debate. A debate is two people trying to defeat the other one so that their position is correct. And nine times out of ten, debates enter in, uh, end up in utter failure. You know why? Because this person over here is passionate about what they believe. And this person over here is passionate about what they believe. And they're trying to defeat you. You're trying to defeat them. And the thing is, you got two losers standing there. We're not in the world today to debate. Do not, guys, do, do not be a social media warrior hiding behind a keyboard debating with someone. Don't do that. Let me tell you, number one, why? Number one, it's pointless because you're arguing with someone who is not going to move from their position. Number two, it is fruitless. You're not going to win that person to Christ. Number three, it is diabolic to the movement of Christ. Why? Because you got the whole world looking at two people who name the name of Jesus Christ arguing with one another. Arguing with one another about this and that. It is fruitless, man. Paul went into the synagogue just like he had, had followed the suit that he writes about in Romans chapter 1, saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it is the power and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. When he came to Ephesus the first time, he went to the synagogue. They said, man, we want you to stay. He says, i got to go for now. 
He came back to Ephesus and he went into there and he stayed there three months. Now they're saying, you got to go. You got to get out of here. We're going to deny what you have to say. But he went to the Jew first so that God would open the door for him to go to the Gentile. This was the meeting in the synagogue and ended up with a denial there. Now that we've laid the foundation, guys, and ultimately answered the question of why did, why did, you know, why did, why did they want Paul out of there? The answer lies within the result of the disputing and the persuading. You see their response in verse 9. Look there with me, if you will. But when divers were hardened, okay, that means a multitude of people, not only just their hearts, but their minds, their emotions were hardened. They seared their, their conscience. He says, and believed not, but spake evil of that way. What way? The way of the Lord Jesus Christ unto the kingdom of God. Uh, that way, before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily uh, in uh, one school of Tyrannus. So we'll get to that part here in just a minute, a minute again. What is the response? The response is negative. A lot of people, many people at this point in time, after spending three months right there with his own people, mind you, with the Jews, I'm saying, most people would say, you know what, man, I'm just, you know, I'm going to go to the next town, next city. But God didn't have that. There was a purpose for Ephesus. There was a work to be done. And, and here is the root. Here, here is the root that we find in verse 9, uh, the root uh, uh, cause of their rejection or cause of their rejection. The reason of their rejection was that they sat too long listening to Paul preach without doing anything with his preaching. Let me say that to you again. The root cause of their rejection was they sat and they listened to everything that he preached and they did nothing with it. Now guys, I'm going to say that to us today. We have 52 Sundays every year and, and we have 52 Wednesdays. All right, you have the opportunity for 104 summer sermons to be heard, listened to, and applied into your life. Everyone that you miss, you can't get back. And I, I don't give me the online thing. Every time you miss, you miss a message, miss a sermon, miss a Bible study, you cannot get it back. What I'm saying with you, the more you take in and the more you take in and the more you take in of the sermons that are being preached and presented to you, the more you do zero with them the harder your heart's going to become. When divers hardened, the more you sit there and take it in, guys, and do nothing with it, your spirit, your soul, your mind, your heart, your desire to see a soul saved will begin to harden. That's the cause of their negative response. So when people sit too long under preaching without doing anything with it, their heart becomes a form of, like a rock. And simply put, guys, their hearts were hardened to the gospel. Why? Because they had heard it over and over and over. You know, I've heard people say before, and, and, and I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to give a, a, a pref, a, a, almost, not a preface, but a, a preface on the back end of saying it, okay? So I'll give you a preface at the end, which is not really a preface, but it is what it is. Disclaimer. I've heard, I've heard people say, Man, not another, not another gospel sermon. Not another sermon on salvation. Now, I'm going to say this. I get that. I do get that. You know, to, to the best of my knowledge, all of our people in our church are saved and born again in the blood of Christ. Some have been saved for many, many years. Other for a handful of years. Some are fairly new. 
If I was to get up every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night here, and continue to preach John 3, 16, Romans chapter uh, 10, verse, verse 9, and just hammer gospel to gospel, you're not going to grow. So I do get that, okay? I understand that. Because when we hear the gospel so many times, if you're not going to take that gospel, you're here, you'll hear me preach the gospel. I'll work the gospel in just about every single sermon. Why? Because I'm not trying to win you to Christ when you're already saved. I'm not trying to convince you that you're lost. There's a lot of what we call retreaders out there. There's a load of retreaders out there. They want to convince somebody who is saved and born again that they're lost so they can get a, a, a notch on their belt that somebody got saved on Sunday. Now let's rebaptize them for the fifth time. You know, I'm not a retreader. Never have been, never will be. But I want you to know the gospel. I want you to know it by heart. I want it to be a conviction in your heart. Because, guys, you need to leave this building and do something with it. And, guys, if you're, not do, if you're not doing anything with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when you live this building, you are cold and as dead as the temperature is right now in this room. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being truthful with you tonight. Their hearts became hard. Because the gospel they heard, the biblical truth of the scriptures that they had read their entire life, the very scriptures that were being read in their, uh, in their synagogues, Isaiah 53 being the most read chapter in all of the synagogues, amen, the very chapter uh, that Philip won that Ethiopian eunuch to the, to the Lord uh, with, that very chapter, the very chapter that Jesus Christ read and put it down and says, today scripture's been uh, filled in, in your eyes, amen, in your ears. They did nothing with it, and therefore they became hard, cold. They became a rock. The response, the response causes the heart to re have rejection. And often during the preaching, many will feel the, a feeling in their heart. Despite how well life may be going, uh, uh, you know, the, the Word of God begins to touch that heart, impressing deep and down inside of their souls and but if you just put it off, do nothing with it, that heart becomes hard as a rock. Unpenetrable. I remember a story one time. It was in a famous sermon preached by a famous preacher by the name of R.G. Lee, one of, the, one of America's greatest preachers of the 20th century. He pastored Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, um, obviously prior to Adrian Rogers, but there was a man between the two and R.G. Lee told this message in the middle of this sermon called Payday Someday. He said that he was preaching a meeting one time. And he's in the midst of this preaching, and he saw a young man way up in the balcony get up. And he goes, yep, he's coming down to get saved. He'd been fidgeting around the whole time. And he came down through the steps, and he just disappeared. R.G. Lee finished up, gave the invitation. People came to the altar of God, got saved, born again. A couple of days later, he gets a phone call from a, a nurse at the hospital. And they say, hey, Dr. Lee, we have a young man here asking to see you. And he's like, well... As a matter of fact, these are the words. She goes, Dr. Lee, I know that you're busy. He goes, yeah, I'm busy. He goes, I even work my toes while I'm sleeping. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, he went on down there to the hospital, and he recognized the man laying in the bed. It was that young man that left that balcony. The young man was dying. The nurse had told him he only has a day, maybe two, to live. Dr. Lee went in there and spoke to that young man, and he goes, I remember you from the meeting." I remember you getting under conviction. I remember you fidgeting around when I'd preach on the gospel of Jesus Christ and eternity and, and the devil's hell. And, and I saw you get up, and it seemed like you was coming down to get saved at that altar that day. And, and, uh, but you didn't. You left. He goes, tell me what happened. He goes, Dr. Lee, I, I did. 
I was coming down with full intentions. I, I wanted to. I, I wanted like nothing else to be saved and born again that day. And Dr. Lee said, young man, do you understand the, your situation, don't you? He says, yes, I do. He said, you understand that you only have a, a, a day, maybe, maybe two to live, right? I said, yeah, I do. He said, young man, why don't you just get saved right now? He goes, that's the problem, Dr. Lee. I wanted to the other day. I don't want to today. The want has left me. If you do nothing with the gospel, guys, if you do nothing with the word of God that you hear here, here, every Sunday, every Wednesday, mind you this, mark my word, your heart will become hardened, just like they did in the synagogue. They wanted him to stay the first time. Second time they said, you've worn your welcome out. It's time to leave. It was their rejection. That's the meeting in the synagogue. Notice with the next in verse 9, if you will, we see the mentoring the mentoring at Tyrannus. The mentoring at Tyrannus. So it, there we go. Verse 9 says, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Now the Bible says daily. Now Paul is in, is in a place he can work. He's in a place where this effectual door uh, is open unto him that he wrote about when uh, wrote to the Corinthian church about it. In verse 10, the Bible says here, it says, and, and this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of, of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Paul's work in this school, uh, he worked in this school for two years every day, preaching and partaking in the teaching of the Word of God. Skip down to chapter 20 with me, if you will, and uh, let's look over there uh, in verse 31. You'll notice here uh, in verse 31, it says, um, we understand how long that he was there. In verse 31 of chapter 20, tells us, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day uh, with tears. So Paul leaves at the end of a three-year stint. Three months he has at the beginning, two years into school, seven months he had helping uh, missions. Paul's labor uh, for two years in this school, number one, is marked by preaching. It's marked by preaching. Go back over to Acts chapter 20 and then look verse 25. It says, And now behold, I know that ye all, uh, ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. This is Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. Number two, not only was it marked by uh, preaching, but it was marked by teaching. Look in verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Not only was it marked by preaching and teaching, look in Acts 20 and verse 20, it was marked by visiting, by visiting, and how I kept back nothing uh, that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Amen. All the while, go back to chapter 20. You got the preaching, you got the teaching, you got the visiting. All the while, he was training. And he was sending out missionaries across Asia Minor to plant these churches. Look at verse 22 of Acts and 19. And he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. Uh, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Paul is getting it done. He is getting the work done. He is bringing the gospel to these people. And we know we're going to see here uh, next week, we're going to see the result that happened on the society of Ephesus. But we see Paul teaching the word of God, preaching the word of God, visiting house to house, sharing the word of God with the people of this school, the people of this community, the people of this town, the elders of these churches, so that this, ch this church could grow in leaps and bounds spiritually, if you will, and then send these people out to start 
mighty and wonderful works of God. That is the mentoring at Tyrannus. And lastly tonight, we see the miracle, the miracle in society. Look in Acts 19, verses 11, 11 and 12. It says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto uh, the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Many adversaries were there, but there was many miracles that were occurring. Now again, guys, the, the, the book of Acts uh, gives us the foundation in which Paul's letters stand upon. Paul's letters are the blueprints, if you will, uh, for the house in which we build on our foundation the church of God. In verses 11 through 17, we find it to carry on here. Verses 11 through 17, again, it says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Verse 13 says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them uh, to call over them by uh, which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit spirit was was, leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out, and I'll circle this in your Bible, they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Going back to that verse 16, these many special miracles that occurred there in Ephesus, they occurred by way of the Apostle Paul. These vagabond Jews now are attempting to duplicate or mimic, if you will, what God was doing through the Apostle. Why? Because Paul is an Apostle. Those miracles were only done with the apostles. They were apostolic signs of which we have zero apostles today. The apostle John was the oldest and longest living apostle. And when he died, the apostolic signs died with him. There is no such thing as apostolic secession. That is a heresy taught by a devilish doctrine. Amen. But we find here, if there is any evidence for that truth, we find it with these vagabond Jews here. And in verse 16, the Bible says they went out what? Naked and Wounded. We had a man that used to come to our Bible study when I was teaching through the book of Acts and teaching on the life of Paul, and I hit that verse, and I'm going to say to you tonight, and I'll say it publicly, the very same thing I've been saying for 20 years now, when it says they went out naked and wounded, let me tell you something, friend, they went out exposed with the liars they are, amen? And these people being slain in the spirit and, and speaking this gibberish and all these laying on of hands and all this nonsense they're trying to quote-unquote mimic or duplicate of what the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the apostles, they ain't nothing, but they're going to be exposed. They're going to be found naked, and they're going to be found wounded, just like these seven sons of Sceva here, these vagabond Jews, these exorcists, if you will. So we need to keep in mind, guys, that what was happening during this period of Paul's life is not for today. This is a transitional period, and the key to understanding special miracles, which occurred, and the only time the word special appears in the New Testament is in verse 11, and the only time it appears in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 7, 6, uh, when we we know this, the whole purpose of this, understand this, the reason for these special miracles is found in verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. Without going into a lengthy discussion, but just for us to understand in closing tonight, signs and special miracles have and always have been and always will be 
intended for the Jew and the Jew only. Understand that. The Greeks seek after a sign, and, the, and, and, and I mean, the, the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. That is exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul said by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. The nation of Israel was sta- established by way of proof of God with signs. As Moses threw down that, sna- that staff, it became a snake. What did those wicked Egyptian uh, priests do? They threw down it. They threw down theirs and became two snakes. What happened? Moses' snake ate there too, right? And then he picked it up and it turned to staff again. Water turned to blood, flies, frogs, all of the, all of the plagues that happened were signs unto the nation of Israel that the, the great I am that I am has sent Moses to be their deliverer, amen. The, the nation was established by signs and therefore they have every right to look for a sign in the early transitional part of the church, but when you start getting through these three years in Ephesus, all of that stuff begins to come to a close. Amen. This is the result. The result of this whole thing was not Paul being lifted up. The result of everything that happened there in Ephesus, everything that happened with, with here, what was the result? It wasn't the special miracles. It was the exposure of the lion frauds of the seven sons of Sceva that resulted in Jesus Christ being magnified. And guys, ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what needs to happen in our life. You're not going to magnify Christ when you speak in a special language, a false teaching. You're not going to magnify Christ, guys, when you lay your hands on someone and they get up and walk, okay? You're not going to magnify Christ when you, you do something that you do, that's magnifying yourself. And I'm going to go ahead and call it, it's going to be mean, it's going to be arrogant. The clowns that teach this thing, they just deceived as the one that deceived them. They got the same book I have. Rightly divide the word of truth and get it where it belongs to the gospel and Jesus Christ may have the preeminence. Amen. We're going to pick up next week with the evangelistic experience that occurred in Ephesus. And after that, guys, we'll be able to break down verse by verse in the letter the epistle to the Ephesians. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of, uh, of message tonight, this Bible study. pray you bless the rest of the service this evening. Lift up thy holy hand and ask you, Lord God, to have your will and your way in our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.